46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to understand your word, that you would transform our lives according to your word, that we would get a greater picture of what your family looks like, Please help us this morning. Amen. I don't know if maybe you've noticed this lately, but it seems from news articles and media that one of the big things that people are talking about is the state of loneliness that people are experiencing. And from that loneliness, it seems like people are looking for a place to belong. Now, because I believe in the Bible, I would say that we were all created to belong. All of us long to belong somewhere. And it doesn't take long in your life to find that group of people to belong to. Think about the stages of your life. First, you belong to the people that have the same last name as you. Then as you grow older, you belong to a group of friends. You may say, I belong to this school or that school. Then you may get into organizations and say, I belong to this organization or that organization. While this world or while people continue to get more lonely and more lonely, the statistics of people experiencing anxiety and depression are increasing. I think it's because people are looking for places to belong and they're having a hard time finding it. We're looking for places to belong, aren't we? Just look at the last two to four years, all of the organizations and groups that have popped up in our society. All of the places for people to belong. The increasing popularity of the LGBTQ community for a place for people to belong. Black Lives Matter, the Mega, the Proud Boys, all places that people are looking for a place to belong. But look, it hasn't started there, has it? Because for decades, people have said, I'm a Packers fan. I'm a Bears fan. I'm a baseball fan. I'm a basketball fan. I belong to the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club. I'm a Republican. I belong to the Democratic Party. All different places to belong, right? 
And yet, it may be different in what they believe, but they have one thing in common. In order to really belong to those groups, you need to agree on every aspect, every jot and tittle. You need to present yourself almost blameless to them. And guess what happens if you don't? You're kicked out. You're canceled, right? That's what we call it now, getting canceled. There's no room for mistakes in those places to belong. You need to be one flavor. That's it, one flavor. So why do people look and long to be a part of those communities? Those families, those places to belong. There has to be something compelling about them, right? Normally, there's an appealing camaraderie. An appealing task to accomplish for the greater good of mankind. But what if the church was the most compelling community that this world could offer? What if the family of God was so incredibly compelling to you that you couldn't get enough of being with the people that you are sitting around right now? What if this community, this family that you belong to, was so compelling that you actually structure vacations around the life of the people here? What if the church had such a compelling place to belong, that people from the outside looked in and said, why do they love each other so purely, so genuinely? How in the world does this group of people of all ages, ethnicities, social backgrounds get together? In our passage today, we see Christ is still talking with the crowds. And his mother and brothers send a man and interrupt Jesus as he's speaking to them. Jesus' mother and brothers want to speak to him. And Jesus then replies to this man, Who are my, who's my mother and who's my brothers? And Jesus immediately answers it for him. He doesn't leave him in the dark to guess. This isn't one of his parables. He points to his disciples and he says, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my mother. Jesus, in this passage this morning, he is telling us who his family is. What Jesus is showing us this morning is who the family of God is. And the family of God is quite a strange, mixed, messy, melting pot of people. So we've got one point this morning and one point only. Verses 46 through 50, we will see a better grasp of who God's family is. So let's go ahead and start. In verses 46 through 50, we are going to see Jesus, who, who Jesus sees as his family. Jesus had casted out a demon uh, who oppressed a man. 
And as Jesus was challenging the Pharisees, while he was still speaking to the people, he was interrupted. His mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, here's the thing. We can't say for sure right here what they wanted to talk to him about. It could have been dinner time for all we know. Maybe it was family time. It was their afternoon stroll that Jesus had forgotten about. In the Gospel of Mark, we get a hint of what could be going on. Jesus' family thinks that Jesus is going crazy. They tried to seize him, Mark says, because they think that he's turning into the town crazy. They think he's lost his mind with what he's saying and how he's acting. They think there's a screw loose in Jesus' head somewhere. Maybe his family was afraid for his life. As increasing hostility is gaining against Jesus, they wanted to take him out of the house before he angered the Pharisees anymore. It quite possibly could have been that they themselves were embarrassed of Jesus. Thinking to themselves, if Jesus keeps this up, we're going to be public enemy number one. We're going to be ostracized from our town. Whatever it may be, we don't get the full picture, and so let's not spend much more time here dwelling on it. What is important that we need to know is that Jesus' biological family goes to him and wants to speak to him. But Jesus, wanting to take this opportunity replies to the man who told him that his parents were, or his mother and brothers were seeking to talk with him. He says, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Is Jesus asking a rhetorical question here? Is he asking a trick question? Is he asking an unfair question? And he's asking a genuine question. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's peeling back the curtain of what the kingdom of God looks like. We've continued to see that this is the plan of Jesus, of teaching the people. Is he wants them to understand what the kingdom of God is like more and more. But that doesn't mean that this question wouldn't have come across as insensitive, right? I mean, imagine if you and your family went to your brother or your son. And this son or this brother showed you nothing but respect and love all your life. You couldn't think of one time when he betrayed you. And you need to talk with him. Because he starts to say maybe some strange things that you're not totally aware of. Starts to do some things that are a little unexplainable. Starts to create a little bit of a following. And in so, also is creating people who don't really like him all that much. And you ask to speak with him. And his reply is, Who's my family? Who are you? 
right? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, no, I'm embarrassed of you. At this point, you scratch your head, right? You think, Jesus, I'm your family. All those meals that we sat down and and ate together, we shared a, a room, we learned how to do things together, we played in the streets together. You've forgotten me? Now, in our world, this may come across as insensitive. We get over it pretty quickly. You know, I've seen family live in the same town for years. Never talk to one another. And as they pass in Walmart, still say nothing. Well, that's just the difference of our time and the time of a first century Jew. Family was everything. There's a saying, family over everything in our culture. But really, that's just, that's just straw. People don't really mean that. But here, in Jesus' time, this was an honor-shame culture. The family was everything. The worst thing that you could possibly do is go against the family and bring dishonor and shame to the family. Every family member from oldest to youngest had a role that was expected of them. And that role contributed to the well-being of the whole family. That's not really the case much more, is it? Some say, I was just seeing this in an article this past week, that if you don't champion your child's dreams and accept them for who they are, then you're an oppressive parent. So for Jesus to respond to His family's request in this way is going against the grain of this time. Right? We, we get a little picture of this in the movies, don't we? When a child doesn't want to take over the family business, it comes as a shock. The parents and the family are devastated. Everything gets thrown into chaos. But here's the greater shock. Not the question, but Jesus' answer. And stretching out His hand toward His disciples, He said, Here are My mother and My brothers. Jesus is identifying with a whole different family. Isn't He? Is Jesus outright denying His family? Could we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're being kind of a jerk right now. You're being a bit disobedient and not honoring your mother. Is Jesus telling us to ignore our families? No. Jesus isn't being a jerk. And He's not dishonoring His mother. And He doesn't advocate and tell us to ignore our earthly families. Instead, what Jesus is doing is He's putting His Father's will as a priority over His own earthly family's will. It's because Jesus has come to not do His own will, but the Father's will 
who has sent him. In his commentary on this passage, Matthew Henry is an old, dead British guy. I think he says it good in an old English-y way. I know English-y is not a word, but I'd love to make up words, so just ask Sharice. What are you trying to say, Max? Here's what he says. The dignity of Christ's disciples, the same as my brother and sister and mother, his disciples that had left all to follow him and embraced his doctrine were dearer to him than any that were akin to him according to the flesh. They had preferred Christ before their relations. They left their father and now to make them amends and to show them that they that there was no love lost, he preferred them before his relations. So let me say this in, in the not so Englishy, old Englishy way. For those who leave all to follow Christ, for those who prioritize Christ even over their earthly families, He will embrace you as His own family. He will embrace you as His sister. He will embrace you as His brother. What Jesus is teaching and revealing to the crowds is who God's family is. And what Jesus is showing us is He's putting the priority of His spiritual family over His earthly family. So who does Jesus say are a part of His family? Well, He tells us, whoever does the will of My Father in heaven is My brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my Father. Now here's the tricky thing. We're boneheads at times. We're sinners. And I don't know about you, but we lack wisdom. It could just be me who lacks the most wisdom. But we do. So how do we know how to do the Father's will? If you've been to enough prayer meetings or you've asked enough people for prayer requests, you'll notice that the biggest trend or the biggest request tends to be, could you pray for me that God would show me His will? And normally what a person means by this is what? Should I take this job or that one? Should I move here or stay here? Should I marry this person or not? Is this the right school for me to go to or not? So does this mean that if they don't know or we don't know the will of God for our lives, then we're not a part of His family? And then once we know His will, then we're a part of His family. But then the tricky thing is, if we then don't know His will, are we out of His family? And then we just flip-flop the whole entire time of our lives? No, God's will is not as complicated, I think, as we make it out to be. God's will for you is to trust Jesus, to hear His words and to keep them. Or in other words, God's will for you is to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. 
to follow him wherever you go and whatever you do, keeping him at the center and submitting to his commands, walking in his steps faithfully, trusting him with your life. The will of God is putting him and the things he loves as the priority of your life. And he tells us what that is, to love God and our neighbor. That's what the will of God is. This is how we gain access to this family. This is how we become family members of God, trusting in Jesus. When you repent of your sins and trust Jesus, you are justified and declared righteous from the heaven tops. That means that all the sin that once marked you as guilty of God's just judgment is gone. It's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Not only are you declared innocent and righteous, but you are also adopted and a part of God's family. So what does it mean to be a part of God's family then? And while upon profession of faith and trust in Christ, you are adopted into the family. Paul tells us, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So what does this mean for us then right now? If this is you, if you are an adopted child of God, if Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is your big brother, what does this mean? I get the privilege of saying this to a bunch of people who mostly are from Wisconsin, where Wisconsin people value family a ton. In a very uncomfortable way, what this means is that you prioritize God's family, your brothers and sisters here at this church over your own biological family who are not believers. Look, you may have a personal relationship with Jesus, but don't get that confused with being an only child. You are not saved into a family where you are an only child. The modern church treats Christianity this way. Don't buy into it. This isn't what the Scriptures teach. You have a family that you are a part of. A family of others who have trusted in Jesus. Long lost brothers and sisters who have the same father, the same brother, and the same spirit as a helper. This is why committing to a local church and becoming a member is important. Because when you do, you declare to the world, this is my family. This body of messy, sinful people are my family. This is the family, God's family, that I'm committing to. 
You show the world that you are adopted and have changed hearts by loving those who are in the local church. Hear the words of Jesus. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But this can be hard, isn't it? Because people are messy. They sin against you. Some irritate you. Some are awkward to be around. Some are just flat out hard to love. Aren't they? And yet, John tells us, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and whoever and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John here is writing directly to the church. He's talking to the church about how they love and interact with one another. He doesn't put stipulations on who to love. He very plainly and very straightforward tells us, loving your brother means you are in the light, and hating your brother means that you are in the dark. So what does this look like for God's family then? It means loving people who are different than you. Loving people who are difficult to love. How can the church look any different from the world if it doesn't love people who are different from them? who doesn't show forgiveness? How can the church have a compelling community if it bickers and gossips and argues about the most ridiculous and dumb things? So as Jesus was pointing at the disciples in this passage, we need to realize that He's not just pointing at the twelve. He's pointing at men, women, and children of all different types. He's saying, this is what my family looks like. And if that's not the case, and you don't think that, and you think it's just the twelve, the twelve disciples couldn't have been more different from one another. Think about the conversations where there's a zealot Somebody who loves the nation of Israel so much that's willing to do anything for it, and then you have a tax collector who's willing to steal from the nation. Those must have been some pretty interesting conversations. So as we leave today, let's think about God's family like this. God's family is supposed to be a compelling community of people that may have nothing in common other than one thing, Jesus Christ. 
The world should peer in. They should look and think, why in the world do those people get together? There are poor people, rich people, old people, young people, people of different ethnicities, singles, married, children. They have absolutely nothing in common. Look, it makes complete sense that a Packer fan would go to a Packers game and cheer on the Packers. You're not going to see someone with a Packers jersey at a Bears game when the Bears are playing the Vikings rooting on the Packers. We should aim. Our church should be known for people of different ages fellowshipping with one another. People of different social classes serving one another. So what are ways that we can show this compelling community to the world? Commit to serving the people at this local church who look different from you. Who are younger than you. Who are older than you. Who are poorer than you. Who are richer than you. Older women. Go to younger women's houses and ask to do the laundry. And if that's beneath you, ask the question to your heart. Did Jesus really have to go and serve these people? Did the King of Kings really have to stoop so low to serve those people? Younger men, go and ask one of the older men out for a meal or ask if there's yard work or house projects that you can help out with. And if you think that's beneath you, Ask yourself, was it necessary for the king of kings to go and serve the least of these? Another great way to display God's family is to invite a person over for dinner. Invite somebody who's different from you. After the service, go talk to someone who is different than you, who you haven't talked to yet. Go up to that awkward person and have a conversation with them. If you see somebody sitting alone, strike up a conversation. The world should look in on God's family and say it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all that they're spending time together. It doesn't make any sense that they continue to week after week gather with one another, and yet they love each other so purely and genuinely. How could that be? And what should our response be then? Because we trust in Jesus, we've been adopted into His family. And because of that, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And so we may look nothing like one another, but we have the most important interest. The most important thing we share is that Jesus died for a sinner like me. Let's pray. Father, we ask 
that you would continue to help us pursue not just familiar relationships, but family relationships here. That we would just not see our relationship with you as this personal relationship, but as a relationship where we've been bought by the blood of Christ into a family to worship you. Forgive us in the areas where we have not been faithful to fulfill this and help us in the ways we need to help be helped to fulfill this. Amen.